First and foremost, we'd like to give our condolences out to the family and friends of those affected by this horrific attack in Las Vegas. We don't want to give much commentary or analysis on it yet, as a lot of the facts are not known. And a lot of what's being said is just rumors created on the internet. Chantel Taylor is back co-hosting on the podcast. She took a break for a couple of months doing some work overseas. Now that she's back on, we had a discussion where we touched on several different topics, including having situational awareness, including some history and background on warfare and the way wars are fought now as compared to how they were fought during the Great Wars. And also, I will play the second half of the conversation that I had with H.P. Leffler as we went over the book Five Years to Freedom, written by Colonel Nick Rowe where he talks about his ordeal as he was captured as a Special Forces officer in Vietnam. And that is this week's Global Recon Podcast. podcast is brought to you by Abe's Bauman. For more than 20 years, their experienced attorneys have helped veterans across the country get the benefits they deserve. No one fights harder to protect the rights of veterans. Find out more at abesbauman.com slash vets. That's A-B-E-B-A-U-M-A-N-N.com slash vets. All right, Santel, you're back. I know. So, I, feel, uh, I feel like you've been having an affair, John. Yeah, so in, in, in between uh, In between affairs, John, what's been happening? <laughs> Chantal saves the world and then comes back on the podcast. I know. I've been, you know, I've been working all summer, so I'm sorry. It's been, I've, I've hated it because it's, you know, I've been working quite, I'm going to sound like I'm bitching out, I've been working quite long days, but I've obviously missed out on on having my uh, my therapy of chatting to you, so it's nice to be back. Although... There's much to be said. Yeah, because there's always a lot of shit going on, you know. Yeah, and even like a, like like recently, I was in Asia and I, I was on a task, and I think three incidents occurred, and I was and it was it was really bizarre because I remember somebody saying to me, um, "Oh God, you've heard the news in London," and I, I felt really I hadn't I hadn't heard anything because I was I, I was working, so I was just you know quite sort of engrossed in what I was doing, and then it was like shit, it's still. You know, everywhere that you go, there's something happening. And just just for instance, you know, I've been on um, the internet this evening and there's a stabbing in Marseille. Two young girls have been stabbed. Um, one had her throat slit and the other has been stabbed in the stomach. And you're like, well, that's what early indications are saying. And I, seriously, and this isn't, I hate to say this when people are losing their lives, but I sometimes feel like it's not about we can't always rely on the security services to fight back. We can't rely on like the military going on the streets. You know, people need to to essentially start looking at you know your your last last line of defence. And I used to, I say this to clients too. You know, like even in um, situations where I've been close protection, hostile environments, or protective surveillance and stuff, I always say you can rely on me, but worst case scenario, it's you. 
you know, there's, you are, you, you have two arms, two legs, you know, you, you have to, it doesn't mean you have to then start training in some sort of, sort of weird martial arts um, discipline and become some sort of guru yourself. Right. But what my, my, my point is, is that you have to be able to think if shit goes down and it's me left, what am I going to do to preserve my life? Right. And that's kind of like the ultimate, uh, you know, survival instinct yeah. that, that we've had and uh, has developed. I feel like we've lost years. it. Oh, I mean, yeah, in, in a way, yeah, because, you know, every, people were walking down the street and they yeah. got their, their head in their phones and they're not, you know, not paying attention. Or yeah, and subway, and that's not you know? exactly, and that's not us even being. Do you know that's not even being like old fashioned, like oh look, listen to you two old fuckers. It's actually I've I've watched people. They don't look up at traffic. They don't look up at anything, and they're just engrossed in their phone. And it's like, what I mean, you know? I don't have, understand. People have died, like you know, been hit by cars or yeah, like, walked off a fucking bridge. Like like people have died in weird ways. That have been equated to them not paying attention, yeah. you know? I wonder if they were reading some of my Instagram posts. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. That's sick. <laughs> you know, one time, speaking of, uh, of not paying attention, one time. This one time in school. <laughs> in band camp. Um, so, All right, John. I took it there. <laughs> so I was walking home, right, I, I, from the store. And um, yeah. uh, this guy... Uh, from from he's actually one of the guys behind uh, Raise the Black, Lawrence Schofield. Yeah, um, we like we love them. Yeah, so I'm walking. He sent me like a picture message of something funny, and I'm crossing the street, uh, my phone in my hand, my coffee in the other hand, and I stepped in a pothole and almost ate the the pavement. And um, yeah, so you double you were double tapping, so you yeah. had the the coffee and the phone. <laughs> and, I, and like my flip flop, I was wearing flip flops. Don't read. Yeah, and the flip flop <laughs> broke, so I'm walking home in New York City, barefoot. Um, with coffee people on my start, shirt. Yeah, <laughs> so the people just, start giving you money. <laughs> yeah, here you go. Um, so yeah, it's just you know, it it is. I think people really need to. People feel yeah. extra safe, and I feel like if you know things go down, like if you're riding the subway every day, like I, yeah. do, you know, you, you can see like these characters who step on the train who are potentially could be a, a threat or a problem yeah and, if, if and you, you and you don't need to be it. you don't need to be a ninja so you just look at people you look at people's faces body language and it there's there's a like a plethora of i mean there's a word a plethora of you know fucking ways to identify someone who's a nut job right. and regardless of what their mental health issue is you know whether it's the, the part of a terror cell whatever it is you can you can tell people don't just like calmly cut about and then all of a sudden start stabbing people right you know, there, it doesn't there's, there's indicators yeah. before it happens yeah it's it's like even even a guy who's like part of a terror cell let's say and he's um you know, he planned he'll still months. be a bit scared. He'll still right. be a bit and, and freaked out. Yeah, the, the signs will be there right before. You know, yeah. he's looking around, nervous, and um, you know, he's looking kind of and, he, and 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 they're always looking at the 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 easiest prey. And it's not to say again. This, I mean, we're talking about these are two young kids, well, kids essentially. You know, they're, they're both under under the age of twenty one. It's like, well, you don't like I said, you don't have to have been in the military. You don't have to have gone and done one of these crazy courses. Just if you just look up, if you look up and just look around, 
you know, and, and you know what, you can't, you're not going to be able to defend against everything. You know, if you've got some crazed attacker that's, he is well planned and he's got, he's got plans just in case the first plan goes wrong, which the majority of them will have. It's going to be really hard to defend against that anyway, but defend all the same. Right. You know, yeah, and, and even if you don't, yeah. And I mean, these kids, if you think we don't know the full story about this um, incident in Marseille, they may have slowed this attacker down. He was then killed by the security services. So who's to say they weren't defending themselves? I mean, I, that's that's what I'm saying. It, defending yourself could potentially stop others being killed. Right. It's, and, it's not necessarily going to stop you paying the ultimate price, but it's, it could. And where is could, that? Yeah. Is that in London or? No. Does Marseille. John, what? <laughs> it's in I, France. I don't know shit. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. No, okay. yeah. Yeah, so it's um, I must say, like again, we've um, we've chatted about a lot of people think, especially in the UK, when I talk to people who who are who haven't, you know, who who say you just start asking questions because of the nature of the work that I do, um, and they say, oh, you know, these these sort of refugees. And I say, you know, by and large, it's the places we've ignored, and we've discussed this at length. Most of these attackers, you know, generally from North Africa, because the borders towards the the south of Europe are just completely free to get in. You know, the, I mean, Italy, Italy's, a, you know, one of the worst places because it's so close. And um, Right, you can just have them on a boat. Yeah, and you can just, and, and it's not to say, you know, not, not everyone that crosses those borders is, is bad, but it's just there's enough that get through where we've got 3,000 people in the UK that are, that are on the watch list. I mean, that's a lot of people. Yeah, it you is. Know, and so that's a long list of people to be sort of um, already they they've already been um, identified as potentials, and that's not that's not good because you then can start considering you could probably treble that for the the people that are actually here that are wishing to do harm in some in some form. So I don't know. It's it's horrible because I, I I hate I'm, I'm not a negative person. Um, and we recently, again, we have a lot of, yeah, and you've seen it, you must have seen it on the news, you have the same in the States, where I always feel like the political climate, there's always a smokescreen. I mean, at the, at the moment, everyone, again, I, I had a bit of a set to about Trump the other day, because I mentioned, and it was an, Amer- an American, actually, again, when I was in Asia, and um, they mentioned Trump's name, I said, oh, yeah, I don't mind Trump, I think, you know, he's he says a few things that are quite interesting, but I, I don't think his his heart's in the wrong place. And they, and they kind of went off a bit as if I, as if it, I, they were disgusted. And I said, you know, I said, the problem, the problem here is that he says things and your little sort of soft palate can't accept it. You, if, if he had, if he, he, if he said things with a, a little bit more grace, if he was a little bit more polished, people would think, oh yeah, there it's Donald Trump. What a lovely guy. But all of a right. sudden, because he's, he's quite, you know, he just says shit and he just, he tweets but I, I think the best thing about him is that he doesn't have a filter. Right. So, right, good, right, or, good bad. or bad, yeah, yeah. it's the truth. So, how how can you possibly not appreciate that? And now, look, and now we've obviously it's, it's not like we've North Korea have not been nutters before Trump got in, but right. now all of a sudden, oh God, look at Trump, what's he doing? Well, this guy's been around for a long time. This isn't sort of new, just because all of a sudden Trump's in. Saying a, a few things that might be a bit that are classism, you know, inflammatory. I think the guy's on the edge anyway. I mean, that that was, yeah. And I mean, and, and, and as we know, he's a, he's a tiny bit of a puppet for another 
nation, isn't he? So right, right, and and they um North Korea they engage in that kind of crazy rhetoric. yeah that's like the normal for them you know for the, it is normal it's like they wear the like US... a million a million medals on it like a, yeah. I don't even know where they fit them yeah you, you see these things the like wow yeah it's like uh, what, what <laughs> combat were you guys engaged yeah because uh, you, know. you know my grandfather fought in Korea and and I think it was I'd like to say fifty three. So and yeah. I can't, you know, I don't recall much after that with with um, North Korea. You know, they kind of and, and they are they do carry a lot of gongs. Good effort on Remembrance Day. Yeah, I mean they um, you know, like, like they they have the kind of crazy is the norm for them. And yeah, you know, I, I don't like some people with Trump. They're either completely against him or they completely support him. Yeah. Um, I'm a little bit in the middle. Like, if he does something that I, I think is a good thing or he did it well, you know, I'll say he did it well. And if he does something yeah. I disagree with, I'll call, I'll call it out, you know. But And that's cool, yeah, and that's the way it should be, you know. Cause, right. And uh, you'll never get someone who everyone – who does it all right. You know, there's the, if, if you were to – if you think, if you had a leader where you agreed – if you thought that they were just this sort of supreme being, right, well, you know, you, you're fooling yourself. Right. And, and I think that's the problem, like – on the left, right, with some of the liberals in this country, yeah, you know, they're, they're like losing their shit because he's not very polished, right? But yeah, they're fine with having a guy who's supremely polished, but is a complete piece of shit, uh, yeah, and his policy and everything. You know what I mean? So it's it's, and then on you know, on the flip side, there are conservatives who would defend him to the death no matter what he does. So yeah, um, yeah, exactly. So and and that's the thing. It's almost like, well, I don't know what happened to kind of. You know, um, what's the word when you kind of you, you think for yourself? There you go. Right. What happened to just thinking for yourself and maybe? Right, and just being objective and, and yeah, being able to disagree with someone and not you know and not want to kill them for the throat, right? <laughs> and, I know, and 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 that's another sort of thing that's the, over the sort of last, I'd say, at least the last eighteen months in in the UK, is that I've I've been shocked at the way that. I, I can kind of I can hold hold a conversation with someone who's far left, and I'll I'll listen to their and I'm going to call it out. I'll listen to their bullshit and say, yeah, no dramas, and but I'm extremely polite. And then, for, like from my perspective, I'll then start to maybe um, in a polite fashion, you know, discuss with them, and they will. You can see that they're, they're almost foaming at the mouth, and it's like, wow. <laughs> So you've you've all, you know left have almost gone hard right, <laughs> and right, it's but I, I do it on purpose are, yeah. now, yeah, because that's you you kind of you like you're flipping, you you are literally losing it, and you've got no control because you can't you can't see anything other than your opinion, and that I think that's quite dangerous because, yeah, you know, well, God, fuck. Well, that's where it is, and and I think you know a large contributing factor to that is the media, like yeah before. You know, I can remember. I mean, obviously, the left wing media is going to be a little pro liberal president, and the conservative media is going to be pro conservative president. But it's gotten to the point where it's just like both sides are just like acting like maniacs. You know, yeah, <laughs> against the opposite side. It's yeah, just, they are. You know, stupid. And, um, and the, they well, there used to be a time when, like, it, you remember back, back in the day. I remember as a kid, like watching journalists who were always out and about. And they were always sort of, they had a bit of passion about stories. But now, I mean, it's, it's got to the point where it's almost like hashtag just for likes. And it seriously is. It's almost like, no, 
right, let's add a little bit to that story because we're going to sell more. And and they've oh, got, yeah. they've then there's a lot of for the the integrity that journalists maybe had in the beginning. I think I feel like that's gone. Yeah, and it's um, it, I mean you're absolutely right, and that that is part of the problem. Is they'll do anything to kind of get those stories yeah. or get those downloads or likes or whatever it is, and yeah, and that has an effect on the way people view things and. Exactly, when, and and know, even well, even their, stories when they're lies, you know. They, and this is nothing. You you can see this big, a big lie, and everyone's like, "This is fuck," you know. And people are losing their shit for like a week. Yeah. And then it's all oh, right. It's a lie, and then no one talks about it, and that's it. There's no, there's no like, oh, um, let's go back and let's go over why the the person's obviously just been crucified publicly, whoever it may be. Right. But it's all a big lie. And then it's just on to the next, uh, next yeah. topic. Uh, or, the, ne- the next victim. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's frightening. So part of um, what's going to play in a few minutes when we're done with our discussion is the the continuation of the discussion that I had with H.P. Leffler going over the book Five Years to Freedom, uh, written by Colonel Nick Rowe who was an uh, Army Special Forces officer. He was captured in Vietnam in 1963. He escaped in 1968. Uh, He's only one of 34 Americans to do so. And then he went on to uh, design the Army SEER program. Uh, And now I know in the UK, you guys have been doing that for a long time, the the SEER type of training. Uh, Can you talk about some of that on the UK side of the house? Well, I think just and this I've I've not done it, so I'll I'll say what I know, and that's that's as far as I can take it. But um, the SEER program, I think, came about after World War II. Um, if if you know, unless someone corrects me otherwise, but that's that's what I'm sure it started. And what what happens is there are several courses, and clearly for the troops that they're putting through the training, I think the duration of the course varies, and its content. So I know a lot of our part because I think it was it was it all came about to do with um, down pilots and things like that, right, right. Or, right. or in fact, even to do with like um, boats. You know, we, our, our navy was um, strong at that stage. So I think it was all it was more geared towards that. And, and obviously, as time's gone on, as um, we've we've gone into the, the world of special operations and things like that, I think theirs clearly then goes into a whole different remit. So right. yeah. Right. I mean, SEER, SEER training is alive and well, but I, I, again, I think the courses are geared towards who who's taking them. Right, so there's like different type of levels or whatever. Yeah, different lengths. I think, yeah, different lengths and then subject matter is going to be slightly different if, um, I guess, how in, how in depth they go into the, the different things of, 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 of the importance of the, the operations you're carrying out. I'd, but I'd, yeah, I don't want to sort of, so I couldn't just start waffling. I could, hey, I could just start making it up. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then I could be like one of those North Korea generals and just start slapping. Right. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've done SEER training. <laughs> no. Walking around with a thousand medals <laughs> on. I know. And badges, <laughs> lots of badges, like a swimming badge. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> the, the first time that I, I'd seen anything about that, uh, like anything that had to do with SEER or, you know, interrogation yeah. training, was um, it was a show. I think it was called Are You Tough Enough for the SAS? Oh and, yeah, th- yeah. And it had um, uh, John McAleese and and Eddie yes, Stone. Yes, yeah. That yeah. was an old school. That was really old school. Yeah, yeah. And um, and then you know, it, it, they would they would go through like different scenarios. Of, yeah. You know what could potentially happen, and and um, yeah, it was just so, really interesting to see it. 
Yeah, definitely. And I, do you know, I think in this day and age, I, I'm pretty sure that they've, they've got to a point where they know, I th- I'm not too sure with the, the time limitation or the time that they put on it, but they expect that you're going to, you're going to tell. Right. Yeah, they, let's they face facts, you know, right. yeah. Cause you're not like, no, I don't think it's physically like, it's not humanly possible to be able to hold out having your, your, your fingernails, your toenails pulled out. And then, right. you know, that's, you're either going to like faint in with pain or you're going to have to say something. Yeah. So, you know, one of the reasons why I thought it would be good to have Leffler on for the, yeah, wow. for, for that discussion is he was an instructor at the army seal school for a while. Yeah. So one of the things he did say was that they're trying to coach guys into giving the interrogators something, but not yeah. giving them everything, you know, like, or, or yeah. withholding the important stuff, that kind of thing. Um, because I, I think in, if I could recall correctly, when I was reading the book, he was trying to hold out on certain information as long as he could, hoping that they would, you know, rearrange the defenses for the, um, yeah. the local base and things like that. Uh, assuming that they would eventually have to give up some of that information. Yeah. And then, and then usually, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, we're, we're, we're so flexible and stuff now that people, all that would happen is uh, as sort of cold as it sounds, things just change. Things just get changed, right? You know, and that's it's almost, um, yeah, it's inevitable that there'll be. I don't think there'd be any way if if people were captured that people would say we'll just stick with the same plan. That, that I can't, I couldn't see that that would happen. Right, it but just, those, it um, make sense. no, it would make it would make no sense. And and even I don't. I had a I had a point then when you were talking about those old boys, um, like. Yeah, about, it's almost uh, like like, like and Yeah, stuff. like the because the, I think like rules of the rules have gone out the window. You know, we were talking about this the other day when in fact it was another meeting I was at, and they were talking about the day they played football. I know this has nothing to do with seer training, but it just shows you where war's at. Where there used to be kind of um, there was a certain honour, you know, where people would let you collect your wounded, you, know, you wouldn't oh, be right. fired, medics wouldn't be fired upon, and stuff like that. So it's. Nowadays, I think it's just people. People know what's going to happen. They, you know, you get captured. It's not going to be. It's not going to be a walk in the park. It's not going to be. If if people want information out of you, they're going to do. What they need to do, and so then I'm sure that the powers that be, would be in a position to, to change plans and and so on and so forth. Yeah, and you know, I think, and I could be completely wrong on this, but I feel like. Um, after the the great wars, World War One and Two, that's when countries and nations and states were like, you know what, we need to have some kind of rules for how we're going to go about and do some of these things. Yeah, and I I feel like the, the reason why I think that is because there was so much destruction uh, at, yeah. at an enormous level, and I think that even though like we know. You know, millions and millions and millions of people died, and millions more were displaced, and whatever. It's just it doesn't seem real because we, it, no. it, it didn't happen in our lifetime because it's know? so far away. Yeah, right. And, and, that, it's like, and that's why. Yeah, sorry, John. No, no, it's fine. And then, you know, when something crazy happens, like you know, if that ever happened again, like a, a war on that scale, then people will be like, you know what? It, maybe it isn't so nice to to shoot at medics and to yeah. torture people when they're captured. You know. Because well, yeah, because and, and that's and it sort of puts puts things into perspective like in this day and age we see we see these attacks and as as hideous as they are and you know human the loss of human life should never be ever be the norm 
that the yield of the attacks that are happening now is so low in comparison to the loss of life in those great wars. It's, it's almost right. like, could you? I, I'm not even sure that people could could cope with that with the way that they are. If, if you think about the way we, you know, we re, we we react to an act of terrorism, which is hideous, and it really, you know, there's no. I'm not demeaning that act. I'm just saying that. If, but then if you look at something where you a hundred thousand are dead, that's well, right. In 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 relative terms, it's it's not yeah. even a comparison. I mean, like no. people look at um, you know, D Day, right? You know, they, they yeah, exactly, the or whatever. A, a nice amount of people died. I'm not, sorry, not nice amount. A, a large number of people died on uh, on that specific day. Yeah, but I think in the next, you know, seven days or something like that, or or uh, my my days could be off a little by a little bit. Like fifteen thousand people were killed, or twenty thousand people were killed. You know, it's just like it's that, a matter of days. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's it's just like absolute madness and like a basically a, attrition. You know, a war of attrition. Yeah, and you think like even um, obviously um, like when the the twin towers fell. I mean that that was a huge like loss of life, and it, right. probably one of the probably one of the worst like terrorist attacks that we've had in our time. And still, you then go back to like the storming the beaches or the bat- the first day of the Battle of the Somme. And 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 it still doesn't, you, you still, I still can't get my head around those numbers. And I've studied a lot of, you know, I've studied the Somme for a long period of time. I've been to many of the, the battlefields all, all the way across Europe. And it's still the, the worst atrocity I would have like witnessed in my life, which is, you know, clearly affected me is the, is the twin tower. So again, but it's all relative, isn't it? Because then, if that if we were to go through something where it just goes to shit, and we do reach a, a, a proper world war where there's this war of attrition happens again, I'm not even I'm not sure how you know where where we'll kind of end up after that because there's so many there's so many sort of power players now, aren't there? And the, you know, Russia's gone a bit quiet. I notice. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's weird. In all these different places, you know, things happen. Yeah. And really, in comparison, it's, it's like not even close. I mean, no. You know, one thing that I, I think of at times is that the rules of engagement for Western forces fighting in, in some of these places is mm-hmm. really what saves some of these groups that they're fighting against you know oh god yeah yeah like, like if it was just like you know what if we get shot at and it comes from that village the whole village is yeah. gonna get erased then eventually you know the the fighting would slow down in the favor of the western forces i mean drastically um, yeah because i think because because of the way we're taught and raised you know and, and i and i can sort of vouch for this i remember even like going into iraq 2003 and people like previous to me going to different places we were still using the same the same um, rules of engagements, you know, that we were in in the Great War. So when you look at it, that, that's all very honourable and all very, and I, I can say very British, and you would say it's all very honourable and American, but that doesn't put the enemy off, does it? Right, because they, they know that no. that the, the people... That we have rules, rules, yeah. Right. And, yeah. and there's and ways it, to go around those rules. And as hideous, it, as hideous as it is, and as, again, as unpalatable as it is, you almost have to get medieval on people to say the way that you're going to, you know, you stabbing two young girls in the middle of Marseille for whatever cause you're fighting for, which you actually, and even in the, in the, they're probably fighting for nothing. This dude's probably just cut, you know, 
because that's another thing I don't believe. I don't believe that. I think it gets to a point where you're beyond that, and you're you're now just like a common criminal, and oh, and you yeah, deserve you, you deserve to be treated treated as such. You shouldn't be you shouldn't be given the honour of fighting for a cause because I think that 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 almost makes it honourable, and it's not honourable. Right, right. Because when you're when you're attacking, yeah, you know, two teenage girls in the street with a knife. Who, who are they? Yeah, yeah. what are they, what are they? They're not. Right. They're you're, not fighting age. Yeah, you're not, yeah. Like, you know, um, you're just a common. You know, you're a common criminal in my opinion. You, you don't, and you don't deserve any any sort of like um, I don't know what the, the martyrdom or any or anything right. like and that. Any and respect, it, and and that's yeah that's part of it, and and that that's what is so kind of intriguing about that mentality it is yeah it's like it's weird they, they think that that somehow that they're scoring a victory it's like you're just being an asshole yeah and, and all that all that you're doing is eventually if, if some of these things continue is you're just gonna get all of the other people who follow your religion in a bad space because people yeah. are just gonna have like at some point there's only so much you could just accept people getting stabbed in the street before you yeah. say, you know what, all of you guys got to fucking leave. And it's not to be, you know, yeah. mean or, no, or, I, uh, yeah. know, or put everybody and even, in the same boat, but, you know. But even even like um, I said, it got to a point in, in Afghan that you had, um, you know, you've got the Taliban or you had the Mujahideen to start with, then you had the Northern Alliance and, and then obviously the things morph into different different spaces and then the Taliban appeared. And what and when I the more I think about it, the more sort of studying that I do on Afghanistan, I see that it's, it's, there's no cause there. It is all about criminality now because their their main the main profit for that country is from the the opium poppy. So, yeah. you know, so at what at what point are you saying actually we we don't want invaders anymore? We're just going to fight because we want our country back. No, I mean that's bullshit. You're not that that's not why you're fighting. It's actually it's now it's it's, it's criminal, and that's why they're called warlords because they de- they defend that poppy to within an inch of their lives because that's what provides them with the money. Right, so and, it's and, you know, and they've and been it's, fighting forever in Afghanistan. Yeah, exactly. And there was a time, and I guess when people kind of romanticise things, and, and 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 potentially when you when you did have the Mujahideen, and they were sort of fighting for you, you do have that sort of element of that, that those sorts of groups in different countries that do believe in what they're doing, and they do believe they're doing it for their country or their people. But unfortunately, the majority they criminalise it. And then it morphs into something completely different. So those that that little right. sort of pocket of we can call them like a, po- a pocket of resistance have no fucking choice but to join. And then then all of a sudden that's that's what it is. It's just it's almost like it's criminal, right? And that and that's how it has to be treated. You know, you, you're not you're no longer fighting. Um, I'd I'd say almost like legitimate warriors. You know, these are people that are just. And they they have to be treated accordingly, unfortunately. And it's not it's not ideal. It doesn't again. It's not palatable to many people because they, I guess, they'll never really understand that. But um, yeah, but you know, it's um, it's in a, in a lot of those instances that I that I've seen, you know, around the world and even different, you know, different time periods, where, like you said, it, it might start out as some kind of. You know, we're fighting for freedom or, or, you know, we're going against a dictator. And then it just like for the people who they so-called liberated after Mm -hmm. they won the fight, it's like, you know, you're out of the frying, you're out of the fire, out of the frying pan into the fire. You know, it's like like I was just I was having a discussion with one of my friends the other day about uh, Cuba 
with yeah. uh, Castro and, and Che Guevara. It was Che Guevara, yeah. Yeah, and it's like they, you know, they, they went against this guy. It was a, a brutal dictatorship and whatever. And, yeah. and they won, and then they turn around and, and turn it into a... Uh, exactly, a, a yeah. Regime, you know? and, and they see, it's almost like they see the money signs, because Che Guevara, and I, and I remember as a kid, and this was before I'd obviously educated myself about him, because uh, he was a hot-looking guy, you know, this great <laughs> hair, looked cool in a beret, people were getting tattoos, obviously students are still wearing T-shirts with Che Guevara on, but right. he actually killed thousands of Cubans. Oh, yeah, he was terrible, yeah. yeah. You know, and, and he's not, he wasn't liked. But they, right. they almost, um, cause, and I, I'd went on holiday to Cuba before it was um, opened up again. And I spoke, you know, quite candidly about it and just said, oh, how, you know, just to find out some history about it. And they said they'd, they use him on um, on the fronts of books and stuff because they know it makes money. But it doesn't mean that. And I thought, what a strange, you know, and then you come home and I see students who are so sort of lost in their own little, their own little classroom. That Che Guevara is a bit of a legend, isn't he? Right, and, and they don't know any any anything. They don't, better. yeah. They they can't be bothered to educate themselves on the actual history of Che Guevara. And right. He's got a cool name as well. How cool is that, Che Guevara? Right, and it's um, <laughs> I, I think it was it's like Yo or something or some shit like that. I, I forget. <laughs> um, but he and then, yeah. you know he, he's smoking the cigars and shit. And yeah, um, yeah, it looks cool. And, um, I'm, I'm riding really cool bikes. Right, and if I read the book about the uh, special forces A team that went into Bolivia, trained up the uh, like a Bolivian military unit, yeah, and went after him, and it was so like anti-climatic. Like I was expecting like some you know genius at guerrilla warfare, and yeah, you know he's he's setting traps for the Green Berets, and it's like they captured him like immediately. I'm like, dude, I thought this guy was something else, you know. No. Yeah, um, but but not really. So. But that's I mean that's another the, the, those sorts of parts of the world you know the, that's another thing like South America people sort of forget that's a crazy the stuff that's going on down there is pretty crazy isn't it? Oh, I mean, absolutely. And you know when when people talk about the whole um, immigration deal over here in the yeah. US, and it's like you know people you know they're stealing our jobs or whatever. Um, if like I feel like. You know, if, if people if Trump says he's going to build a wall and 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 he said I'm doing it no matter what and people voted for him, then that's what people want. But yeah. I feel like yeah, maybe the wall would keep people out, but it's it's still not fixing the the crux no. of the issue. You know, people are escaping because there's massive amounts of lawlessness yeah. and violence in South America, and and that's what and and there's no jobs. You know, there's no money to be. Yeah, and it, it's it is it's actually quite sad for. I mean, people get treated really poorly there. I don't know. It's really, really sad. The goings on, you think the kids and it's it's always the vulnerable of all that gets sort of shafted, I think. Oh, absolutely. And and the, and the thing that I don't like about having these conversations with other Americans is that there's no um, accepting of the U.S. role of the way things are yeah. now in there. You know what I mean? It's like... History is history, you know. It's I understand you don't want to, you know, go around bashing the United States, but if they did something that caused a certain situation, then it, it is what it is. There's no, yeah. Uh, there's, you know, the the truth is the truth, and and people, yeah, and it, yeah, exactly. When you talk about it, it, just people get angry. Like I remember, yeah. I was, talking and there's about no need to get angry. Like yeah, someone was just... kicking off for me about the British Empire. I said, well, all right. I said, well, what? Who who would you rather be then? Would you rather be British or would you rather have been? 
I did name a country. I won't obviously on air, but and and they and they reply were British. So it was like, well, shut the fuck up then, because exactly. it is history. It's not great, but I'm not going to. What? Why are we? Why are you bringing it up? You know what? What right. can be done today? You, but what you can do is you can just try and, you know, look at look around and try and make the world a, a tiny bit of a better place, one kind of section at a time. Wait, we could do a Trump and say, make the world great again. <laughs> Exactly. It's not exactly. going to happen, is it? Yeah. Well, well, you know, that's that's one of the things is that people have issues, right? But they think just by posting on social media, yeah, sharing a meme that you're doing anything, and it's like yeah. if, if you really want to change something, then go go ahead and do it. And yeah. Like, the get get, get amongst it. Yeah. Get amongst it or join. Do something. Don't just you know sit in your little your war room, your war cabinet, in your lounge, looking. You know, and then like post something on Facebook and right, like and that, if, if they think really, that that's going to be it sorted. Yeah. Oh, I've told them. Yeah. I've told all my 500 friends. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, John, I don't know where we're at, but I did have another point though. And I've noticed it's gone, but it was, um, damn it. Ah, it'll come back. It'll come back the next time. Yeah. Well, there you go. You, you forget more than, um, I know than it's bad, isn't it? It's because I've been busy working. It's okay. I'll get over it. Yeah, you got to get back in the uh, podcast. I've got, yeah, I do. I do need to get back in the podcast. And we've got a good one coming up this week, haven't we? Yeah. Uh, actually, he, he just replied, yes, so we're, we're good for Right. Time. Yeah. I'm quite excited about that. That'd be quite cool. And interesting. You know, these stories are really extremely important. So, And I've been doing a bit, actually, whilst I've been away, I've been doing a bit with the National Army Museum, so... Oh, when yes. when yeah when that news comes out I'll I'll let you know first. And can you talk about your upcoming appearance that you're making or no? Oh right, what well, on the on that sort of panel? Yeah, yeah. It's I mean it's a it's basically going to be a discussion about um, the armed forces on the streets that we have at the moment and what's you know I've got my own theories and we're going to have um, you know we've got the, the minister of. Um, for security there. So it's quite, it's, it's quite a big deal for me to be on the panel, but I do actually have my own theories on potentially how we can make some sort of pathway for veterans. And, you know, you, you do it quite well in your, in the States and so do the Aussies. So I'm, I'm trying to look at creating a blueprint for the UK where, you know, we can, you can, without doing it immediately, but you can't, you, you can shift from the, the military into the security services of some, some sort of description. Cause even the guys, remember we had that great guy on that does a lot for um, kids being trafficked and stuff like that. Oh, right. Right. You know, I, I don't just mean that one thing, but there's, there's so many ways that veterans can be. And, and I think actually, if you look at ways that you can still kind of serve your country, but potentially in a different way, then that can also, um, balance out the dramas that we're having with people going down the road the cycle of ptsd and i'm not saying that ptsd will stop i'm just saying that if you get out of the military and you've served so many years you go out as a grunt sart major and all of a sudden you're nobody that can have quite a profound effect on your lifestyle or right. you've right, but served in special yeah exactly if, if you're continuing to, to work in some way yeah i mean like the uh the gentleman who was on that that you refer to who who works in the child uh, sexual exploitation yeah. world he went in straight through a program where they approach special operations guys as they're uh, in a retirement process and that's brilliant i think that's right. really good 
because you know, I thought about the stuff that I've been doing of late, which is a bit a bit different to being a medic, but I can't really go into that. But I've um, I've noticed that I think I left the military in two thousand and nine. I then I went back into hostile environment, but, but slowly but surely, I've I've kind of my path's changed, but for the better because I've I've I, th- I feel like I've become like far more well rounded. You know, I've learned. I've learned stuff from a lot of my American colleagues, Aussies, Canadians, you know, our usual five-hour community that we we sort of speak about. But even, you know, I, I can do things now where I, I'm still a soldier inside, but I don't need to necessarily appear like one. Whereas when you first leave the military, if you still got that sort of that head on, you're always going to appear like that. So sometimes in certain roles that are required, you're potentially not going to fit in. So my point is, is that is to sort of capture the people that have been out, out for a little while. They've, 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 um, they've maintained their skill set, but all be in different sort of roles. But then why can't we utilize them? Right. You know, your, your central intelligence agency, you, you know, they'll, they'll utilize whatever they want to get, to get a job done. And I, right. I can't, I don't see the problem with that. I think it's a brilliant thing. Well, right, because the, you know, depending on the you know the requirements of the mission, exactly, there, there may be someone who is more qualified than anyone, and they were never in the military. So it's yeah, like, exactly. You know, or and if they were, that do you know what you can have someone who's out of the military, and they're they're better five years later, right? Just just because they're they're no longer because sometimes the military is, you know, you got to think when you are in the military, you are confined to your specific orders your you know your specific unit all of all of those things which is a brilliant thing i wouldn't change that for the world but when you actually when you let loose from that you have to you find you find ways you have to adapt you have to learn to kind of cope without that kind of um support network it's it's, that's quite tough but again it then produces other talents that you didn't you didn't realize you had right right because you you weren't looking or you weren't uh, yeah you know, it was it wasn't required receptive. of you, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. And even your opinions, your you know, you just you just, I just think there's a lot with in this country. You know, in the UK, I I think we're missing a trick. So, the the talk that I'm going to I'm I'm on a really interesting panel, and there's a lot of people of influence on the panel. So I'm hoping that I can kind of make a difference. And is that is I, that going to be live or what? I, I'm not too sure actually. It's um, it's at the National Army Museum, and it's. I can. I'll try and find out, and I'll let you know. But um, okay. we'll see. We'll see it. Yeah, I'm sure. I'll, I'll try not to swear. Yeah. Try. <laughs> try my best. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, right. So, obviously, so so now that the affair stopped, John, I'm back. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's it. Yeah. So, tomorrow. and I look forward to tomorrow. So, um, yes. Yeah, so we'll we, chat then. We got interesting interesting stuff lined up for this week um and now i will play the conversation that i had with hp leffler going over the book five years to freedom on october 29th 1963 after only three months in the country alongside captain humberto rocky versace and sergeant daniel pitcher Roe and these two Americans were on an operation to drive the Viet Cong out of a village. They It was just the Americans, and they were alongside their South Vietnamese counterparts. Uh, due to faulty intelligence, they miscalculated the size of the enemy, and they were surprised by the force of the enemy, and the South Vietnamese broke rank, 
uh, causing a lot of chaos and confusion. And it was in that chaos and confusion that the Americans were captured. Yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely, that's absolutely the case. Um, the stalwartness of our South Vietnamese allies um, was dramatically over overestimated in that particular in that particular operation. So they were kept in a very small three by four by six feet bamboo cage, and they were separated for the majority of the time that they were captured eventually separated into different camps. You know, they the Viet Cong wanted to keep these guys separated in order to break them down, in order to have them rely on anything that they would give them, you know, any food, any, you know, let them out of the cage, walk around or whatever, and have them depend on them in order for them to break them and use them as propaganda parade them in front of the cameras and, and, and whatnot. Now, I believe there were points where uh, they had to walk past one of the other guy's cages in order to use the bathroom and they would slip little notes to each other and kind of keep themselves on the same page uh, in order to know what's going on or whatever. Um, and I think from the, the perspective of the Viet Cong as captors, they wanted to isolate these guys in order to break them down and fully use them to their what they view them as uh, propaganda value. On top of some of these these concepts that he had to cement in his brain, you know, as as this is these are tools that I'm going to need to to survive this and get out of this. Um, uh, Rocky, who he was captured alongside with was awarded the Medal of Honor for his actions as a captive. And, I mean, this dude was, like, hard as nails, man. And the the last time American prisoners heard his voice before he was being led to be executed, he was loudly singing, God bless America. And as you read the book, throughout the book, Rocky was, was out, outwardly defiant at almost every opportunity. Um, they would, they would have them sit with, uh, you know, guys from the, the, uh, like, like, I guess some kind of political instructors from the Viet Cong and, and they would sit with them in classrooms and, and try and, I guess, in effect, brainwash them and, and tell them and, and prepare them for what they would perceive as, uh, good propaganda, put them in front of a camera and, and have them, you know, denounce the United States and say everything they're doing is wrong and, and that kind of thing. And every time that they were brought into these situations, Rocky was just absolutely defiant. And um, and I believe he is the first uh, soldier who was, or, or serviceman, to be awarded a Medal of Honor while a captive. Um, really, really incredible, really... You know, a guy who's like I said was just hard as nails, and I, I I believe his his steadfast, you know, ironclad will kind of helped to inspire some of these guys as they were in the camps, and and they were moved around to different camps, and there were different uh, prisoners brought in, guys that that they didn't know, and and they grew to know as they were uh, captives together. 
Um, and and then part of the issue not a, not only was it the the mental anguish of of being held captive, but a lot of guys were dying due to malnutrition, due to infection, and not having proper uh, proper medical care. Absolutely. The thing about the thing about Rocky Versace is like, yeah, he was hard as nails, but they shot him for it. Right. And while I am certainly not going to criticize him, and this is not intended as criticism, you know, the, the question is, did Rocky return with honor? No, he didn't. He didn't return. And so and the, the purpose of of everything that we teach at Sears School is to allow you to return with honor. And while certainly, you know, it's it's preferable, at least from the way I sit, to go out like Rocky did than to go out some crying, whining, sniveling little bastard. Um, at the end of the day, I mean, who knows what he might've achieved post-war? Who knows the, the, you know, who knows the benefit to the, the nation, the benefit to the army that he may have, the benefit to his family or his community that he may have been able to provide had he been a little bit more, I guess, circumspect for lack of, I mean, that's a really bad, you know, bad word to use and, you know, considering the circumstances, but, um, you know, and again, it, it's, you know, it, it's okay. You know, there might be a time for that, but you can't return with honor if they shoot you. Right. And, and I, I get what you're saying because I remember reading the book, when he was describing some of Rocky's actions, I'm like, dude, just go with it a little bit, you know, like don't, don't be so defiant because eventually they're going to shoot you, you know? Um, well, they, they teach you that a little bit, a little bit of courtesy doesn't cost you anything and it can, it can go a long way to saving your life. You know, um, there's a lot of stuff. And again, I'm not going to get into all of the super duper details, for those of you out there who really want to know the super duper details about Sears School, go to Sears School. Um, but it's, uh, you know, that sometimes the answer isn't, you know, we're, we're taught to believe in a lot of things in life that the answer is right and wrong, you know, to decide between good and bad, right and wrong. Sometimes your decision in that circumstance, your decision is often going to be choose the least wrong. Choose the thing that is the least bad. Um, choose the damage that is the least severe. Um, and it's, it is not an easy thing to explain. It is certainly not an easy thing to understand until you've had a certain experiential base with it. Um, you know, a lot of times... You know, it, it had 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 Rocky had had Rocky merely kept his fu inside. Maybe he would currently be lieutenant general retired. You know, general retired. You know, senator or your know, grandfather. Any number of things. So again, <laughs> well, this is not intended as criticism. I mean, 
it takes giant stones to do what he did. On the other hand, you know, we're not training people to do that. And that's kind of an example of what, you know, why the Sears school exists. We would rather get our people back than have them die as glorious examples of, you know, martial sternness, martial rigidity. All right. For the, for the next quote, uh, I could destroy myself if I allowed negative emotions to dominate my thinking and partially from a strong sense of self-preservation, partially from a sense of responsibility to the other men, because I could offer them no solutions if I could find none for myself. I turned to the one positive force our captors could never challenge, God. Now, you, you mentioned this a few minutes ago, you know, basically sitting in, in your small cage, your bamboo cage in the jungle, you're, you're being bitten by mosquitoes nonstop. Uh, you're, you're starving. Your your captors are, are offering you the same uh, options every time they talk to you. You know how, how do you keep your composure? And and you said it could be your God. It could be you know something from home that you fondly remember, or or anything that will keep you from completely breaking down and and essentially quitting while you're in captivity and I'm not saying quitting as if like you know that it's not easy to not quit in that situation it's it's incredibly difficult and obviously it, it you know as the United States government doesn't want guys to quit when they're there Correct. Um, well, it gets into, and again, and we saw this in Vietnam, we saw this in Iraq, we saw this in Afghanistan, the constant questioning of why we're there, of what we're doing is legal, blah, 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 blah. You know, if you're, if you're sitting in a cage, you don't need to be worried about whether or not the invasion of Iraq was legal. You don't need to be worried about whether the, you know, whether our operations in, um, in South Vietnam are, are legal. I mean, one, one, one could say that the more effective you are, the more likely your enemy is to bitch to the international community that what you're doing is illegal. And therefore, you know, your enemy's word is not to be taken, period. Um, but at the same time, it, it becomes a, a, a great challenge to, to sit with, you know, the, the only, you know, the only information you're getting comes from your enemy and to not internalize that. So it's, again, it's a, it's about will. It's about resolve. It's about believing in who you are and what you're doing. Um, you know, which allows you to, you know, resist the efforts of the enemy to, to break you down. This, this next quote is, is there, I've read quotes, um, with the, uh, with basically a, the same meaning of it. And I, I thought it was incredibly interesting that he, this is something that he put on paper, um, 
Anticipation of pain or irritation is far more devastating than a pain than the pain itself. So the basically the the threat of the bang is worse than the bang itself, right? Um and I would imagine that from the the captor's perspective and 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 you'll read this in the book if if you read the book, there were a lot of instances where they wanted them to to be you know worried or you know they're going to beat us or in in several cases that what they would do over these cages is they had these mosquito nets to keep the mosquitoes out and it, it got to a point where he would try and go along with what they wanted him to go along with as much as he could without uh, doing something detrimental to the United States. So when it got to that point where it's like, say the U.S. is terrible in front of a camera and he said no, what they were doing was removing his mosquito net. And being in the jungle, in the middle of the, of the jungle in South Vietnam, the mosquitoes are, are horrendous. And removing that mosquito net, he would wake up with bites all over his body to the point where his like his body's numb and his 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 arms are stiff his legs are stiff and they they try to use the anticipation of that pain and irritation to get him to budge on that point which he refused to budge on right you know ab- absolutely um you know and it, it's you know it it is i mean and that's, and that's the thing, you know, um, I remember when I went through senior school, right before we went in the camp, I don't know of anybody in my team or whatever that wasn't, I'm not going to use the word terrified, you know, that might be, you know, that might be a, a bit much, you know, at some point you still realize that a, this is a training environment and B, they've invested a lot of money in me and you know, they're not going to throw their money away by brutalizing me right before they, you know, release me back into the wild. Um, but by the same token, it's, you know, it's the fear of the unknown. And all you have to go on is the stories that may or may not be accurate that you've heard during your time in the service. And having been ha- as a SEER school graduate and a SEER instructor, I can assure those of you listening who may or may not be especially junior enlisted in the United States Army, that 98.9% of the stuff you've heard about SEER school is crap. So the next person that tells you one of these BS SEER school stories, you need to seriously consider the source and probably look at him or her and tell them right to their face, you're full of crap. But the point is, is that you don't know what's going to happen, but you've, you've built it up in your mind as this huge traumatic event which makes it a whole lot worse than it turns out to be. Um, that definitely works for the enemy. Um, you know, and it's, it's a question of, okay. Um, yeah. Getting bit up by mosquitoes in the jungle. Okay. But at, at some point, if they're, if you think they're about to shoot you is saying is, is making a statement. Um, you know, is, is making a statement really worth your life? Might there be a way, a la Michael Durant in Mogadishu, that you can make the statement 
that the enemy wants you to make in a way that is as benign as possible to the American cause. And the again, these are the things, you know, we took, you know, Colonel Rowe took his experiences and used them, you know, both the lessons learned positive and negative um, and built this framework on how, again, how to resist with honor. You know, you're not just going to get up on TV and say, oh, yeah, you know, we're all pirates. America's the devil. What we're doing here is, is illegal and the president should be impeached just because they threatened to take away your shoelaces. That's ridiculous. But at the same time, you know, you look at Michael Durant, you know, when he's like killing innocent people is not good. You know, he never admitted to saying that we're doing it. He never admitted to any of that stuff, but yet he made the statement that kept him from getting shot. So, you know, it's it, it's making them work for everything. They're going to get stuff out of you. Bottom line, the enemy is going to, you know, they get you've got enough time. They're going to get stuff out of you, period. You're going to be used for propaganda. You know, you look at, um, you know, you, you look at a lot of the, the, the POWs in Vietnam, the, the pilots that were marched through the streets, handcuffed to each other. Um, I mean, that's propaganda. None of those dudes could do anything about it unless they really wanted to get shot, you know, and, and plenty of them, you know, the, the one, the one famous one, he used Morse code. He blinked torture using Morse code. Um, you know, and, you know, all of these, you know, all of these things, um, and all of that has been rolled up and is used as, as some of the curriculum. Um, but it's, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to avoid a hundred percent being, you know, no, there was no propaganda used for me. Well, okay. I can, you know, you give me two days and you two days in a, in a simulated prison camp and I'll get all sorts of propaganda audio. And you, you know, there's no, there's, the point is, is that there's nothing you can do about it. So you try to minimize its effect and you make them work for everything, you know, but again, you can't return with honor if you just, if you get shot doing it. So when he was captured in 1963, like I said earlier, there were just special forces advisors on the ground and support personnel there. So that means that here in the United States, there wasn't large a large anti-war movement uh, as we saw in, in late in the '60s. So what what ended up happening? So he was he escaped and was rescued in 1968. So what ended up happening was in the latter period of his captivity, what they would do is that his captors would play. You know, they'd turn on the radio for him and they would play the and some of the anti-war stuff coming out of the United States. So now he's sitting here and he's thinking, wow, the people really don't support me. And and he, he's trying to decipher, is this pure propaganda or is, is this legitimate, um, you know, just legitimate information? And it it was legitimate as there was an anti-war movement, but it... it you know, the context in which it was presented to him was designed to break his will. So, um, so what ended up happening and th the way he ended up escaping was, 
someone in the United States provided a list of of uh, the prisoners of war who were captured, who were valuable to the United States. I mean, all of the prisoners were, but and they released that he was an officer. He was indeed an officer. So once they found this out, they decided they were going to execute him. And it was, they decided they were going to execute him. And then this happened several times during the captivity, as you would learn as you read the book, that they would go on bombing runs through the jungle. Sometimes they would bomb the camps that uh, the, the Americans were held at, uh, perhaps not knowing that there were Americans there, you know, just they see Viet Cong and say, you know, let's bomb this place. And what was happening is there was bombing going on and all of this confusion as all of the captors and everybody was trying to escape the American aircraft. And through that confusion, he took advantage of the uh, the discord that was taking place within the small group of his captors that he was traveling with uh, in the jungle. And he convinced one of the guys that... If this guy, if this other guy continues to lead this group, we're all going to get killed. You and me should go a different route. So him and this other guy went a different route. So now he separated the group and he he's just with one captor, making it a lot easier for him to overpower him and escape. So eventually that's what happened. He was able to get into an open space. And um, I believe it was like a white blanket or something that he had that he was he was waving it and a an american helicopter spotted him and what one of the i I believe it was the pilot or or maybe it was a crew chief they said later that uh they thought he was vietnamese and they intended to shoot him but as they got a little closer they realized that he was an american and so they they dropped down they picked him up and and he made his escape it was a it, the date was uh December 31st 1968 so you know throughout all of that throughout losing a lot of weight being sick you know dealing with the me- mental anguish of being a prisoner of war for 5 years and being held in a jungle he was able to keep his wits about him and realized that there was an opportunity there for him to get away, and he and he took advantage of that, and he was able to uh, get rescued. Um. So what? Uh, hold on. Let's see here. This is uh, this is also something that he wrote in the book, and I I thought it was an important point, and I just wanted to share it with you. And here it is. It's. Death is a constant companion of those who serve in a time of war, and though able to sever the physical tie, it can never break the bonds of spirit. I knew now where the source of additional strength that I had called upon lay. Just as these men stood with us while they lived, they continued to stand with us after their passing. The words, an anthem from the academy that none of us would forget, never had more meaning than at this moment. Grip hands with us now, though we see not grip hands with us, strengthen our hearts. As the long line stiffens and straightens with the thrill that your presence imparts, grip hands, though it be from the shadows. So, you know, he's talking about the, the strength that he received from guys, 
even though they weren't there physically, you can you can feel their strength and their guidance. And um, I think for anybody, especially soldiers who serve in a time of war, if if you're in a combat zone and in, in special operations or or combat arms, you're gonna see people get killed. You're gonna lose friends, and I feel like if you and outside of that, if you ever lost anyone who was important to you, um you can use that loss as motivation to kind of, you know, achieve what you want to achieve and, and keep going. Um, what are some of your thoughts on that, Lef? Um, Well, I, I mean, I absolutely agree with that. It's, um, you know, there's a reason why in the military in general and, you know, in the combat arms in particular, certain things are stressed. You know, we talk a lot about our lineage and we talk a lot about the history of the regiment or the history of the unit or whatever, you know, you know the idea being you, you know, the, seeking to instill this idea that you don't want to be the one that disgraces the colors. You don't want to be the one that let these guys down. And that, you know, it's not prevalent thinking. It's not something that you're considering, you know, a lot when, you know, you're marching around Fort Bragg or you're picking up garbage or you're doing whatever, whatever, whatever. It comes to the forefront when you're scared. It comes to the forefront when you're, when you're unsure. It comes to the forefront when you are isolated, when you're alone, when you're facing something new. Like, I don't want to be the one to let the side down. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of criticism about, you know, about that and about that way of doing business. But, you know, most of the criticism comes from people who don't understand and, and frankly, don't want to be bothered to understand. So I would absolutely agree with that. You know, you, you look when you're in these dire circumstances, these dire positions, you know, you look back to the people that have gone, you know, from your organization that have gone before you. And, you know, and it, it's that it, it's that desire to not, you know, to, to not let, you know, to, to not let them down, you know, sort of this. This desire, you know, like I've said, you know, in your previous podcast, when when I meet, you know, when I meet my military forebears in the halls of Valhalla, I don't want to be ashamed of my behavior. I don't want to be ashamed of how I have how I have, you know, conducted myself on this side of the mortal coil. And that is extremely important when you don't have, you know, all your brothers around you all the time, when you are, when you're having to maintain this connection, you know, through extremely dire circumstances. Yeah. And so Nick Rowe, he was rescued in 1968. He wrote the book Five Years, Five Years of Freedom in 1971. And it was in 1981 that he was recalled to active duty as a lieutenant colonel to design and build uh, the Circus So he was killed in February 1989. I'm sorry, not I'm not February. I apologize. It was April 1989. He was in the Philippines 
working on a joint U.S. military advisory group providing counterinsurgency training for the armed forces of the Philippines. Uh, there were there was a, a communist insurgency that was threatening to overthrow the Filipino government, and they wanted Nick Rowe was there to manage the the uh, the training, and he was assassinated. Um, they they were sh- I I think there was gunfire from a, a forty five caliber pistol an M sixteen rifle that entered an unarmored part of the car he was in. And he was struck in the head and killed instantly. So, um, you know, he he died in, in service of the country. Uh, you know, years after after Vietnam, very unfortunate. But it just goes to show the the nature of of this job of that special forces, uh, Green Berets do, and and other uh, units that do that type of work, where you're advising a government or a group on, on how to counter uh, a threat to their nation or to their group. So, um, you know, the experiences of, of Colonel Rowe were incredibly important as his experiences can be read in the book, five years to freedom. Some of the, the lessons in the book, apply to to a lot of things in life, not just to military people, uh, military personnel. But obviously he had a profound effect on the high-risk personnel who could potentially be captured in a war zone. Uh, Guys like yourself, Lef. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, as you're going through SEER school or or you know that you're going to have to go, is it required reading to read this book? Um, it, it is, or it's, it's strongly encouraged. Um, it was one of those, um, it was one of a few books that we were allowed to have with us at Sears school. The reading list may have changed some, um, you know, I mean, a, that, that pipeline changes with every class and B it's been a hot minute since I went through it, but we were allowed that one and, and a couple others for, to read um, off duty, um, you know, read, you know, at the end of the day's training, um, that Black Hawk Down was another one. Uh, Bravo two zero was another one. Um, I, I assume more have been added, uh, since then, but it was, it was strongly and strongly encouraged. And I would encourage anyone who is considering, um, you know, who is considering a career in special operations or, or making an attempt at special operations, um, to, re- to read that. Um, there, there's a few other books that I would recommend, but obviously this is not a podcast on HP Leffler's <laughs> professional <laughs> reading list. Um, but I mean, ab- absolutely read it. It, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very good book. It's especially if you're about to go to Sears school. Or, you know, even even if you've already been um, and didn't read it in Sears school, read it, read it afterwards. It's um, it, it's a it's a really good book and it uh, it'll it'll teach you a lot of stuff. Yeah, I, I read the book a couple of months ago. 
uh, a friend of mine who was an army veteran, he was a sniper, and I, I we were having a conversation, and I asked him if he had any recommendations for books that he felt was like really important to read, and he recommended Five Years to Freedom. I'd heard of it before, but I I never got around to reading it, and then it was after he recommended it, I read it, and after I read it, like I could just think like, wow, what like what a story, you know, and yeah. And there's so many lessons there that can be applied to uh, life itself. So uh, I, I believe it's available everywhere books are sold. Easiest place to get it is probably on Amazon. Um, you know, it's available in, in hardcover, like a physical copy of the book or on, on a Kindle. And... Um, you know, if if you enjoyed this podcast and and the, us going over it, then you're definitely going to enjoy the the book itself. So I would recommend you getting your hands on a copy. Um, left again, I just want to thank you for checking out the time and and uh, podcasting with me. No, oh, absolutely, man. Thanks for having me on again. Awesome. All right, talk to you soon, brother. You bet. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. As always, we encourage you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Check us out on SoundCloud. Download the episodes. Leave us a review on iTunes if you can. And that way it'll help keep us at the top of the government and national categories. And that way we know that you guys enjoy what we're doing. We have a bunch of very good episodes lined up for you for the next couple of weeks. Really good guest. And we're going to keep giving you guys some really good content. So my website is www.globalrecon.net. My Instagram account is IG Recon. My Facebook account is FB Recon. The second Instagram account is Black Ops Matter. Chantel Taylor's account is Mission underscore Critical. Check her out on there. She wrote a really good book called Battle Worn, The Memoirs of a Combat Medic in Afghanistan. It's available everywhere that books are sold. The easiest place to get it is on Amazon. Check out HP Leffler at forerunner.freya. So that's the number four, runner.freyja. Check out Leff on there. He posts on a regular basis. Uh, you can keep up with him there. And we'll see you guys in a couple of days with another episode. Peace.